Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Bream. Eric Scopel is with me as always on today's show. We're going to break down the college football media poll for the Pac-12. The Ducks were voted number one, and we also got an opportunity to talk with Mario Cristobal shortly after that poll was released, and he shared some some pretty significant news, I felt like, in that 30-minute discussion with Mario Cristobal. So coming up next here on the Odds and Audibles podcast, but first, I want to remind you guys, if you're not subscribing to DuckTerritory.com, today is the perfect day to do so. $1 for your first month of VIP access, and then $9.95 thereafter. That $1 is all it's going to cost you to get in the door, get a VIP membership, support this podcast in the most meaningful, impactful way, and also make sure that you don't miss a single bit of our 2020 college football season coverage, as well as recruiting. The Ducks have the third best recruiting class in the country. Uh, they are in a position to be fifth nationally when things are said and done. It feels almost like at worst fifth. Uh, Oregon basketball is on a hot streak with recruiting. They've got a five-star Nate Biddle. They are pushing for other recruits as well. Basketball on the women's side is – gearing up as well we will cover all of that in the next couple of months weeks and so you want to make sure that you are subscribed to duckterritory.com now if you can't subscribe to the show and you want to still support the podcast there are two ways you can do so by doing it for free one is subscribing to the podcast feed to make sure that every time we drop a new podcast which right now is almost daily uh, that gets sent directly to your phone, tablet, email, whatever you use to listen to the show, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, desktop usage. Uh, subscribe today. Make sure you, you get all the alerts that are free when we drop a, a, a new podcast. And then the second thing you can do is give us a, a review on uh, the platform that you listen to us. That helps us. It, it helps uh, populate us to see new people. Uh, and those are two ways that you can support the show without a monetary commitment. All right, Eric, uh, Pac-12 media poll came out today. Um, I don't necessarily think that there was a surprise that Oregon was the Pac-12 favorite to, to win the league. Um, were you surprised at all that, that Oregon went – one in the, in the Pac-12? Um, I'm not surprised. I think the one thing we should note is this is the first time since 2014 Oregon was not only picked to win the North, but also to win um, the entire Pac-12. And I think that's kind of significant. And it makes sense given where the Ducks had been over the course of, you know, from 2015 on really. Um, some kind of meet, some meager seasons there. But I, I think like, I wasn't surprised that they were voted there. Um, I, I think... I wasn't really surprised too much with the poll in general. Uh, USC's the, the the top representative from the South. That was the pick to represent um, the Pac-12 South in the conference championship game against Oregon. We should note that Oregon um, had significantly more votes from the voting pool above USC in terms of winning the Pac-12 conference championship. And we should also note that um, California had three votes. Um, it was not unanimous over, over Oregon to, to take the top in the Pac-12 North. So, um, that, that, that was, I don't know if it really stands out or surprises me and, I, and I'm probably not even that surprised it wasn't unanimous given the fact that Oregon's had the opt-outs and that Cal has so much back. Um, I think maybe the thing, the only thing in the North that really sort of surprised me 
and it's it's nothing to do with Oregon. It was just that Stanford was was the fourth team here above Oregon State. I, I kind of thought based upon last year's results, and I know Oregon State loses a lot, but Stanford loses a ton. Um, that Oregon State would have the nod there, but um, I think that's maybe the biggest surprise for me, just in terms of the entire poll. Um, I don't know anything else to you that you when you were looking through this, Matt, that that you kind of jumped out that you thought was notable. Yeah, well, let's run through the list here. One, Oregon is 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 picking. The Pac-12 North goes Oregon one, Cal two. Like Eric mentioned, they did receive three of the thirty-eight Pac-12 North first place votes. Uh, Washington is three, Stanford is four, Oregon State is five, Washington State is six. South Division USC got thirty-two of the thirty-eight votes. Arizona State is second. Utah is four. Utes actually had more first place votes than second place Arizona State did, which I thought was 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 pretty unique, a little different than than we've normally seen. Um, USC got thirty two, ASU got two, Utah got four, and then UCLA is is fourth, Colorado is five, Arizona is six, and I look at this as the Pac twelve and, and the points that are associated with with each team, it, it feels like there's kind of three schools in each division yep. that are considerably viewed in a different light than the other three in each division. So in the North, it would be Oregon, Cal, Washington. They receive much more uh, points than Stanford, Oregon State, or Washington State. And in the South, it was USC, ASU, Utah, all receiving significantly more points than what UCLA, Colorado, and Arizona did. And I look at that as, you know, there's kind of two tiers in the Pac-12. There's probably about six schools that the media, uh, 38 voting members, I was one of those 38 people um, that voted, felt like there's about six teams that can compete for a league title. There's going to be about six teams that, that won't. And if you look even deeper, there's probably really four that, that are – really viewed as the league favorites, and that would be Oregon, Cal in the north, USC, ASU in the south. And I think you throw in Utah as, as another in the south just because they somehow have more yeah, first-place votes agree. than ASU. Um, yeah, I know, and it's kind of int- – and, and that's not super abnormal. Um, I guess I thought it was sort of notable uh, that USC had such a large gap to Arizona State and Utah. Um, it's almost the same size gap as what Oregon has to Cal. Um, and to me, I look at that and think, I don't think USC is as good as Oregon. And I think Arizona State's probably pretty comparable to Cal. And I would have thought that maybe there would have been a little bit more move for, for Arizona State. And we should note that those two teams are kind of similar in that they've got these really young, exciting quarterbacks. Um, I'm really excited to see what we get to see from Jaden Daniels in year two. Um, I thought he was obviously tremendous in that game against Oregon. Um, and it's going to be fun in that Pac-12 South to have those young quarterbacks. We may, maybe, you know, UCLA is picked fourth. I think that's exactly where I would have put them. That's, I know that's exactly where I believe you put them as well, Matt. But maybe we see DTR take a step here in the quarterback play. Right. I mean, I think the quarterback, the quarterback play on paper is a little bit more enticing in the South than the North, which, frankly, that's not been the case in a really long time here. Uh, you look at the Pac-12 North, I, I believe the only starting quarterback um, who returned is, is Chase Garbers yeah. at California. I mean, everybody else is a replacement. USC at least has some continuity there. Um, you know, the Pac-12 South has some continuity there. 
Um, that part's going to be interesting as well. But I really do think the Pac-12 North champion is, is going to win um, over a Pac-12 South champion, if that's Oregon, which I think we obviously think it will be, or even if it's Cal. Um, I think those are the two st- strongest teams in the conference. You might disagree. I think USC is certainly deserving of some consideration there. But I think Oregon and Cal have the two most complete teams. I'll put it that way. The Ducks received 21 votes to win the Pac-12 championship game. So, so they, they received 35 votes and those 30 out of those 35 to make the championship game out of those 35 21 then said Oregon would win the whole thing uh USC was second for the most votes to win the Pac-12 championship game with 15 so over half of the people that voted or uh voted USC to win the Pac-12 South they received 32 first place votes in the Pac-12 South division over half of those 17 of those people also believe USC would lose the conference championship game. Uh, Arizona State got uh, twenty. Arizona State got one vote to win to win the whole thing. Utah got one vote to win the whole thing. And I think the biggest thing out of out of this, Eric, is um, I look at this vote and think Oregon is kind of the go ahead winner here because they received more votes to win the league than all three Pac-12 South potential champions, USC, ASU, and Utah did combined. Oregon had 21 votes to win the league. USC, Arizona State, and Utah combined had 17. And I think the voters are in agreement with what I was just saying a second ago then of, of I think the best teams in the conference are in the Pac-12 North. And I, I, and I really believe, and, and I might be proven totally wrong, but I really believe this is a year where I just think the Pac-12 South is going to be a little bit lesser than the North. And part of that is that I think Oregon's going to be the best team. But again, the other part is I think, I really think Cal is going to be that number two team and, um, and will really challenge Oregon in Berkeley. And who knows, that might be a thing where if Oregon drops that one game in Berkeley and Cal, you know, obviously if they were to win out all their games, they'd make the Pac-12 conference championship. But if Cal lost just one other game, um, the Golden Bears are going to be the representative. I mean, that game in late November is going to be, I guess, yeah, late November is going to be really, really important. Now, Cristobal was asked about the, I guess, honor of being the preseason favorite. And we should note that uh, the Pac-12 media, um, they have been kind of hit or miss on the, the voting. You know, they've selected the conference champion correctly, 31 of 59 previous polls, including just four in the last nine-year uh, football championship game era they did not get it right last year Utah was the team you know expected to to win it um Oregon was the Pac-12 champion uh Washington and USC uh were were predicted to win last year or two years before that that's the year they did get it right um but nonetheless uh Cristobal was asked about the honor of being this year's favorite and and he I think he, he acknowledged it, but at the same time did what every other coach has kind of done when, they, when they're asked these questions. Oh, I love this response, and I think those listening will appreciate it too. And here's the full quote. We live our daily lives and practice like we have everything to prove. Our guys take notice. We know last year none of them were picked by their peers to be all conference players and all of that stuff. No one in this program feels like they have arrived. There are no sacred cows. There is no entitlement. If someone feels that way, well, they'll have to exit the door immediately. We're based on being hungry, humble, and driven. 
that's the only thing on our minds right now. I mean, I think, first off, he acknowledges, he acknowledges the, uh, the, the all-conference last year. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's the first time he's acknowledged that slight. And I'll be honest, I, uh, earlier this week, I was putting together the, a list of players from the Pac-12 who've opted out. And part of that, I was acknowledging each player's all-conference, I guess, recognition in previous years. And I was looking through last year's, the 2019 season Pac-12 poll. And we should know, that's not done by the media. That's done by the coaches. That was the coaches who voted on that. Um, just a distinction there. Um, it is... <laughs> it pissed me off again. I mean, I would, I know we had our response to that last year when that was released in December and we were both pretty heated about it and honestly pretty miffed and confused, but you look through that again, not to, not to go too far down, uh, I guess the history of this, but like it's ludicrous that the lack of respect Oregon got on that, on that meet on that all conference team. And I'm not surprised at all that they're using that as motivation. Like the ducks were clearly the best team in the PAC 12 um, there's no question about it. They won nine out of 10 games against conference teams. And yet they have basically no representation on the conference's first team. And they have very little representation on the conference second team. And you see teams like Washington, um, Utah was deserving because they had the same record going into that conference championship game as Oregon. But you have a team like Washington, who's got significantly more players on that team who finished four games worse than Oregon in the PAC 12. So I'm not surprised that they're using it as motivation. I guess I'm a little bit surprised and maybe I shouldn't be that Mario Cristobal comes out and says it. He's very yeah. intentional in what he says. So clearly he felt like this was a message he wanted to put out there. Um, I found that to be one of the more fascinating things he said all day. I, I look at that and think uh, this was a kind of a, as much of a shot across the bow as you possibly could have. Hey, we acknowledge that you guys jilted us in some of these all-conference honors. Uh, and we've used that as motivation because he did go on to say – later on uh, in the media session that, you know, when the, the sports science department got all their athletes into the facility and started doing their, you know, their diagnoses or, you know, run the analysis of where they're at from a physical standpoint, Cristobal said that the sports science department at Oregon came back to him and said, these guys are further along than what we were anticipating. They're in better shape than what we were anticipating. And I don't, I don't believe Cristobal to be one of those, um, marketing coaches that's going to e e extremely exaggerate the truth. And you know, cause like, look, every preseason we get coaching quotes. This guy looks great. This unit looks awesome. They've done a lot of work in the off season, yada, yada, yada. And we always hear it. And sometimes it, what we hear going into practice and going into the season doesn't translate to what we actually see on the football field. And I don't think Cristobal is like one of those coaches. If he's going to come out and he's going to kind of heap some praise, he's going to come out and say that the team is further along in their, their conditioning and their physical development than what they were anticipating. I'm going to be one to often kind of believe him because he doesn't really blow a lot of smoke. Yeah, absolutely not. And like I said, I don't, he doesn't say things without the intent. Like he, he means what he says and there's a reason he's saying it. And I, I do think today was an opportunity to, to provide an update on how good his team is feeling and how they look. And I, I think you could tell throughout, we'll, we'll jump in on some position specific uh, topics, I guess, in a moment here, but there's a lot of optimism there. There's usually a lot of optimism there, but I don't think he comes out and is as gung ho or bullish and um, as Matt is describing there with kind of where they are as a team. If, if he doesn't truly feel that way, like, I don't think he's going to, he's going to say something that he, he doesn't really believe. And 
I think it was not a mistake that he says it on Pac-12 Media Day when he knows the rest of the conference and Pac-12 in the country is listening and watching. I think he wanted to communicate. Well, earlier we talked about what he wanted, might want to communicate um, when he makes that note of kind of the lack of recognition on the all-conference teams. When he's talking about how good his team goes, I think he's just trying to – or how good his team has looked, I should say. I think he's really just trying to outline to everybody that, like, hey – we're for real. We're going to be a contender. Like we're, we're not behind schedule. We're, we're going to be full steam ahead um, and everybody better watch out. And, and I think that's a message. And obviously when you see Oregon named the favorite as expected, I think that's a message that, that should catch the attention of the rest of the conference. Um, and, and maybe those nationally even as well. Now, Cristobal did divulge, I think some pretty significant information about kind of where the team is at going into things. And let's start with, the offensive side of the football and let's start just collectively the whole entire unit. Um, last week he made a comment that caught ears and my eyes and ears when he said this was that the, the install was done for the offense, you know, and they really haven't had practice. And so it's kind of, did he, did he really say that? Is that right? And we got some clarification and then some more in-depth answers from him, which makes me think maybe the offense could be a little bit further along when they open camp up on Friday. Yeah, he, he, I asked, like, did, did we hear that right? I just wanted to clarify. And he said, yeah. I mean, they've done the install. He said that they were allotted certain amounts of um, obviously of opportunity during the offseason to have meetings and to discuss things and to put things in. Um, obviously, it's a little different than it would be typically when you had a full spring and that puts you behind. It's a little different than typically um, when you have a fall camp that's already underway. And obviously, they're still going to get the same number of fall practices, so it doesn't change significantly. Um, but he said that they really they took ownership of it, and it was the players who took ownership of it. And it was the, that, 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 again, was another example he felt. And he talked quite a bit during the discussion about just the leadership that this team has exhibited, I guess. Um, and he felt that was another really great example of that leadership of – you know, there's an opportunity here when the guys get sent home, which he acknowledged happened in early August, that players can slack off and players could come back, you know, come back, as Matt suggested earlier, maybe not in great shape. He said that that was not the case or could come back maybe behind schedule and where they need to be in some of the stuff between the years in terms of the offensive install or whatever they're working on on defense. He was very, very clear that that was not the case and that the guys were, again, ahead of schedule and that they're coming into this here with, again, a new offense, the new offensive coordinator, Mar Marcus Arroyo, is gone. Um, it is Joe Moorhead's baby now. And I think, again, I'm hoping that we get some opportunities to, to see this stuff in motion before we get to game one on November 7th. Um, again, Oregon opens up practice here in a couple of days. I'm hoping that we get, I don't know exactly, we don't know, we should, full disclosure, we don't know exactly what practice coverage looks like and we're a couple of days away. Um, I'm hoping we get a chance to see it because I'm really, really excited just to see how all this thing comes together, how it all looks. Obviously, I get really jazzed and excited um, I can't believe I just used jazz on a podcast. I get, <laughs> I get really excited. I'm just, yeah, I just, but I get really excited looking at the personnel stuff in terms of like who's running on the first team at tight end or the second team at you know left guard. Those are the things I love. But I also just love when you have a full offense to put in. I, I, that stuff gets me. I guess I'll use it again because why not? I've already said it. I gets me pretty jazzed too. So um, you can count this reporter as somebody who's just really excited to see how it all looks um, and gets even more enthused by the comments that uh, Mario Cristobal said today just about where they're at offensively. Now, I've already put in a request to talk to Mario again because we have to note this was a 30-minute interview with Mario Cristobal with the entire media of the Pac-12. 
most of the people asking questions were people from the Oregon beat, but there were so many that we were all basically regulated to, to having one question, one opportunity. And I had asked some questions about depth ahead of time um, and kind of the recruiting that's the previous few years that's going to help Oregon replace some of these guys that have departed. But I wanted to also ask him about Tyler Shuck and his commitment to Shuck because once again, another open media session, he goes out and goes on the record with saying Tyler Shuck is the first string quarterback. And I really want to know, we didn't get this. We didn't ask the question. We didn't get this opportunity to, to clarify. I want to know kind of, what is he seeing in this quarterback room to make him feel comfortable that Tyler Shuck isn't going to let up despite all the, the constant mentions of him being the number one quarterback and what do the other, how the, have the other quarterbacks kind of handled this and why is he confident that they will still continue to push and think they have a, a true opportunity to win the job? I mean, he, he, he clarified a little bit about Shuck's positioning, but still nonetheless, Shuck is number one on Friday. Yeah, here's exactly what he said. He said, we'll enter day one with Tyler taking the first reps and Anthony, that's Anthony Brown, taking reps with the twos. We're going to make it a competition, but it starts off like that. Pretty, I mean, pretty straightforward here in terms of, and again, he's a straight shooter. Um, I mean, it's, it's Tyler Shuck's it, job to lose. Like, exactly. <laughs> he, goes in, he goes into Friday's camp with the first team, and it's up to him now just to stay there. And that's what I think – I mean, this isn't super breaking news because this is what we've kind of been talking about all offseason. Right. And Cristobal has been pretty consistent about saying Tyler's the number one guy, and, you know, basically until he's not. And it, it's the same thing when camp starts. And I'm, I'm – again, I'm really excited and curious to see, first off, Tyler run with the first-team offense. So we got four practices in spring. We didn't get a spring game. He had no opportunities, obviously, in the past couple of seasons while he's been here to run really with the ones – with Justin Herbert being around. Um, I'm really excited to see what he looks like with the ones. And I'm probably equally excited just to see Anthony Brown for the first time. I mean, like that's the thing we think about here. The first time we see Anthony Brown here is going to be, well, if, again, if we have media access is going to be early October or it's going to be November 7th. Um, I mean, it, it's crazy how little we know about Anthony Brown, but I think we know a fair amount about Tyler Shuck as the first team quarterback based upon what we've seen, but also what Cristobal has said. And I know I said earlier just that he doesn't speak out of turn. I think they've, they've been very intentional about how they've talked about this quarterback position and competition of, hey, I'm going to make sure we compliment everybody in this group. And he went ahead and did that. And uh, Kevin Wade uh, wrote, has got the entire story up on DuckTerritory.com. You can go check it out and see all the comments. But he's been very intentional to, to compliment everybody. But he's always been intentional to acknowledge that it's Tyler who's the number one quarterback. And I don't think that's been my mistake. I think he's wanted to continue to build that up in Tyler all offseason. And I'm sure he's wanted to build up for the backups, a guy like an Anthony Brown or some of these freshmen that are also on the team. He's wanted to use that as an opportunity to motivate them further. So um, significant news, not super surprising news, but certainly you go into the first day of practice now, I think with a pretty clear idea that unless Tyler Shuck kind of doesn't take care of business, He's going to be their quarterback when the season opens. Now, he's also confident in the depth that Oregon has been able to accumulate the last few seasons. Uh, I go back to um, hit one of the first years he was here, and he talked a lot about, in 2017, 
talked a lot about how he was confident that they could get guys ready. He was excited for players that they had on the roster. But from a, just a pure scholarship standpoint, they didn't have enough depth. They, they, they weren't prepared from a body's numbers standpoint to, to go out and compete for championships. He didn't say championships at the time, but he, he, he was implying that. And over the last three years, Cristobal has been able to, to do a, a really good job with his coaching staff of talent acquisition mm-hmm. and bringing in tons and tons of elite talent. And he, he hammered home that, look, guys are going to opt out. Guys are going to go pro early. And the beauty of it is, is if we're – I'm paraphrasing here, but the beauty of it is, is if, if Oregon does their job on the recruiting trail, guys go early, they should have the talent waiting in the wings. It's just they won't have the experience. And then he, he hammered home of, you know, we have to get guys prepared. We have to develop players. And he thinks the team, even though Penny Sewell is gone, even though Thomas Graham is gone – Javon Holland and Brady Breeze are gone, that they have the depth and they have the talent stocked up to, to once again win the, the, the league. You know, and, and I don't think we're you know, surprised again that he says that. Um, the confidence that he has in this group, I think, is very clear. Um, and I think for good reason. Um, he, you know, he spent a lot of time talking about different position groups. And, and really, you know, every group he spoke about, there was a sense that we've got a lot of guys. I mean, he talked about the defensive backfield, we should note, um, I don't think we mentioned on this podcast, that uh, Oregon did add Jordan Happel, uh, Boise State transfer, to the roster. Yep. Uh, he spent a little time talking about how that impacts things, and he was quick to say that, like, you add Jordan, but there's still a bunch of guys that are going to be competing. Um, he mentioned Steve Stevens, a, a player that we had mentioned the other day on the podcast. You know, prompt, he mentioned him – You know, he made the point of mentioning Steve Stevens and kind of the contributions he could make. Um, you know, he spoke about running back and was sure to point to the veteran guys coming back, but also acknowledge that, hey, like Sean Dollars and uh, Trey Benson are really talented young running backs who are going to make things, you know, they're going to be challenging not to play. And he talked about linebacker and extensive, uh, you know, a lot and talked about the exciting young freshman. And, and we can talk about here in a second, but some of the veteran guys are also coming back. I mean, he, he touched on probably half of the team's position groups. And what Matt just said lines up of it was, almost exclusively like we've got a lot of guys and a lot of things to sort through. I mean, we talked about the offensive line too and about how they've got, you know, I think a reporter asked who's going to start at right tackle. And he was like, we don't know. We've got a couple of days, you know, for who's going to even open camp. He said, I think at, at right tackle. And he said, we got a couple of days to figure that out even. So I think you look at this and I think depth is one of the big stories. Um, I know you, we, we, we can mention over and over again, they lost four players to opt out and those were the top tier talent guys. But what Oregon didn't necessarily lose was depth. And I don't think there's a position group that Oregon had an opt out from aside. Maybe you could say nickel, um, but I do think they're going to have the bodies to fill in there, but that you would say that oh, they just don't have the depth to, to kind of get it figured out. And that's the exciting thing. And, and as Cristobal alluded to, and as you did when you asked the question, it comes down to that recruiting and just the immense success that they've had, not just with these four and five star recruits, but also getting some really, really good guys who maybe aren't quite as highly rated and getting those guys on campus and getting them ready. And now they're starting to see that pay dividends as well. It was interesting. He brought up Steve Stevens because that was a name um, you and I, and I'm mm-hmm. calling Kevin Wade, you know, when we've been discussing this team the last week or so, as we've talked a lot about him in, in, in our private conversations of, discussing the team and the outlook of where this team is at and where they could be going, who could step up and, and whatnot. And it was kind of interesting to hear the man in charge of the program bring him up as well. <laughs> no kidding, right? I mean, I think that was one that stood out. And, you know, he talked about that position group 
um, and about how he and, he and he ran through all the names, all the names we always hear, you know, the Verones and the Nick Pickett's, the Jamal Hills. Obviously, he talked about Jordan Happel because he just transferred um, a Bennett Williams. But he wanted to make a point of saying Steve Stevens. And he also said Stevens performed really well in those four spring practices. But he wanted to make a point to acknowledge him. And so I know we said on, I think it was Monday or Friday show. Sorry, these all sort of ring together at this point because we do so many. We've been doing them every day almost. <laughs> We're doing them every day. So I'm trying to remember where, who knows, it could have been a Tuesday podcast we said that. Um, but I, I know we, we, we talked about him. And I just think as camp arrives here now in a couple of days and it's crazy and I'm getting I'll just use it again jazz so that we have another that we have practice starting on Friday um I think he's a name to just kind of be aware of uh again we established the background there on the previous show of like how high of regard I mean, he's the highest regarded highest rated safety recruit Oregon has ever signed he's basically red shirt and not played much on defense in his first two years there is an open spot at safety and there's an open spot at nickel right now and I don't think you can discount him from being somebody that competes for either of those spots. And frankly, like, I'm not going to be like, I'll probably be surprised because he's not somebody who's been in my, my two deep prediction stories. Although I think he was just in the most recent one after uh, Brady Breeze's decision. Um, he's not been a, a big name. And I guess I'd be a little surprised, but I'm not going to be like completely like stunned if he ends up being a guy that starts um, early on in the season or even by the end of it. Now there's also going to be, I, I think we discussed this on one of our recent pods of the linebacker core. Um, you pose the question, is the, is the linebacker core maybe one of, if not the deepest position groups, more, most confident group we, we have, you and me, uh, in 2020? Where is our confidence level with the, with, with the linebackers? And you pose the question, is, is this maybe the, the, the unit we're most confident in performing well? And Chris Paul kind of discussed the, that group as well and was very, very promising and, and complimentary of that group that's done a lot of work behind the scenes. Yeah, I've got a story up on the site with all the quotes, um, but he just acknowledged that there's a lot of guys that they're going to be looking at at edge, at outside linebacker, at inside linebacker, edge being that stud position um, that, Bry- that Bryson Young played last year and that I think we can pencil Mace Funda's name next to this year. Um, and I think the thing, a couple of things stood out. He ran through a lot of names. He was very complimentary of Isaac Slade, Matto Atia, um, also refers to him just as Isaac Slade, which is probably for those of us who have trouble with Polynesian names, the right choice, <laughs> but I, uh, me. <laughs> me as well. Uh, I don't think, I don't know many people that are like super <laughs> accurate with those pronunciations, something we probably should work on, but, but basically just said, here's a quote on, on Isaac Slade of he's just different sometimes, or sorry, something always happens when it's your turn, a certain light comes on and you get a certain look in your eye. Responsibility is something that falls on your shoulders and you take it and you run with it. Um, and he feels that that's something that Isaac Slade has done. And so we talked, I know a lot listening have probably wondered about like, are they going to start true, two true freshmen in uh, Justin Flo uh, and Noah Sewell at inside linebacker. And I feel really good right now saying it's certainly not going to be two because Isaac Slade, you can write him in there. He's going to be one of those guys. And if he's unseated, as a starter based upon the things that have been said about him and based upon what we saw on the field last year, that means Oregon is just one of those guys is just a freaking awesome player. Like if, if, if they find a way to, you know, knock Isaac Slade out of the starting lineup, yep. somebody is just an absolute baller um, because everything we're hearing, everything we've seen in the past suggests he could be in for a really big season. He was a guy who, again, was one of the top defensive players last season as a sophomore, as a junior. Now he takes on a leadership role. And it sounds like what, as Cristobal says, 
that he's done a very, very good job in that regard. And then uh, just to kind of follow up on that, th- uh, five other names he mentioned here, or I guess six, he mentioned Drew Mathis as another one of those senior leaders. He mentioned that they expect tremendous things from the true freshman trio of Noah Sewell, Jackson LaDuke, and Justin Flo. Notable that they throw LaDuke in there. Obviously, we're familiar with the two other five stars um, at linebacker Sewell and Flo. LaDuke's name we haven't mentioned too much, but Cristobal made a point to do that. And then two other names that he mentioned were MJ Cunningham and Adrian Jackson. Uh, Cunningham played quite a bit last year as a redshirt freshman. Um, and Cristobal said he has to take a big step for us to be a successful team. So there's some expectations for MJ and then Adrian Jackson, he acknowledged coming off the injury um, that they are really hoping and looking for him to, to take his game up a level here to get healthy because he could really be somebody who also impacts the team in a positive way. So just some names and some notes there, a ton of players at linebacker. He said, you know, they're going to have all of this stuff sorted out by the time they play November 7th, but did acknowledge like it's, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of guys and not that many spots. Now, we do have a couple other notes to break down, most notably personnel. He was asked uh, if there's been any kind of update with Thomas Graham and a, a possible opt back in to the season. And Cristobal basically said the only thing that he's aware of that is that Thomas Graham is continuing to do what he is doing, and that was opting out and preparing for the NFL draft. Didn't He didn't really seem optimistic. Maybe that's us reading too much into it. Um, but Crystal Ball did not really seem receptive to that question uh, when he was asked, you know, previously about stuff like that. He he, he kind of teased the Lenore one a little bit. So maybe if you want to read the tea leaves type of a situation there, uh, Crystal Ball was very point, you know, right to the point. Didn't really seem optimistic Thomas Graham would come back. Uh, and he was also asked who would replace Penne Sewell left tackle when they have practice on Monday because on Friday because look reality is someone's gonna have to be uh the start you know first team left tackle and he said that they've got a couple guys they've got a couple options there uh but they're gonna run through things and he's not really gonna decide until tomorrow night which would be a Thursday night uh so it, it really maybe it's show maybe it's him being honest um sounds like the left tackle position really feels like it's, it could go more than one or two ways. I think he was talking about right tackle, actually. Was he? I, think, I thought I – thought, maybe, maybe I, I interpreted maybe. it as replacing Sewell. Oh, I might have misinterpreted too then. Either way, I think left and right tackle, like tackle right now, yes. is just like who knows. And we've kind of run through a little bit of it. Like Stephen Jones seems like a guy at left tackle, but he even acknowledged last week that like there's too many players to really like name somebody there. And then at right tackle, Stephen Jones is going to be the right tackle if he's not the left tackle. So if Stephen Jones is the left tackle, the, the, the basic math there tells me they need to figure somebody out at right tackle. And regardless, I don't think it's clear at all offensively on that line, like who's going to be playing those two tackle spots right now. I, I think it's a, a, a kind of a mess trying to figure it out and, and a mess in a good way because there's a lot of talented players. But I think you feel Stephen Jones is one of the starters and the rest of it, and it's just where does he start? And then the rest of it kind of falls into place after that and I think you feel a little bit more clarity at guard and center but even those positions probably I, I don't know like Sam Patasi and TJ Bass were battling in the spring center felt completely up in the air and I know we've all kind of written Alex Forsythe's name there um, and then right guard was Malasala um, he certainly seems like maybe the best bet of all those guys to have a spot locked down because we've only heard really positive things about him but 
this whole offensive line group, again, the depth there is really significant. And I think it's, it's going to be a lot of competition this first couple of weeks. And again, I hope we get an indication of how that's going. Um, because I'm certainly going to be really curious to see what that, what that five looks like on November 7th. Nonetheless, we have football. We've had a, kind of a media day, if you will, digitally at least. Um, the Ducks will open camp on Friday, October 9th. Uh, we're expecting to not be in practice in person uh, for the first part of the season. Maybe things progress where we'll be allowed in. Uh, later point in the season, but we will be providing interviews. We'll be getting opportunities to get photos and to get video um, provided from the University of Oregon. Uh, games will be start being played here in about a month, and Oregon's push to repeat as Pac-12 champions officially begins on Friday. And we'll be covering it on DuckTerritory.com. You can go to DuckTerritory.com and subscribe today for $1.00 for your first month, 995 thereafter that. We also have an annual plan, which will save you over $36 over the course of the year compared to that month to month plan. Uh, and if you don't want to, if you can't subscribe right now, that's totally fine. We get it. Money's tight for a lot of people out there. You can still help the podcast by subscribing for free uh, through Google or Spotify or iTunes, whatever platform you use to, to listen to the show, you can subscribe. And then most importantly, if you could also give us a, a review uh, and rate, rate the show, that would be helpful as well. So for Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Prem. You've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.